0: From the Palmetto Family Podcast Network, this is South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. Welcome in to this edition of South Carolina Connections. I'm your host, Corey Truax. Glad to have you with us for this edition. You can also find me on my own show. It is creatively titled The Corey Truax Show. It's on WLFJ 92.9 FM in the upstate of South Carolina on Saturday mornings at 8.05. It's also wherever you're listening to this podcast, wherever you're finding South Carolina Connections. And for that matter, wherever it is you are finding Eric Corcoran's show from Palmetto Family Podcast Network and Josh Putnam's show from Palmetto Family Podcast Network. You can also find the Corey True show and I certainly hope that you will. Let me also point you over towards palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org. Some of the the work that was done in regards to uh, D-Day and rem- I, mean, I talked about it on my own show last week, but just some of what was done over at Palmetto Family was really good. I mean, it's the kind of things that we should spend some time on uh, just for, for, for the sake of appreciation. And so uh, let me encourage you to go over palmettofamily.org. Uh, but there's also just plenty of good news where you can be a well-informed person from a biblical and Christian perspective, uh, the religious American perspective on what's going on in the news. For, uh, for South Carolina Connections, one of the things that we like to do here is we take a look at the events going on in the world from a biblical lens— and see how they might affect you and affect the families of South Carolina. One of the ways in which we did that a couple weeks ago is I talked about a bill that had passed one house. It was at the Senate of the House in Alabama. I believe the other the other house passed it here recently and it looks like the governor is planning on signing it. That does away with marriage licenses. That the the government would no longer be involved in marriage. And and I brought up this this might have been the the way in which we should have seen marriage even back in the 90s when the the moment the homosexual marriage issue came up, well, we, we probably should have been eva- evaluating, well, what is marriage? Why is the government evol- involved in it? Uh, what kind of validity do we find in our own marriages because the government says we're married? Versus how I think a lot of religious people see their marriage, that it's not important to them that South Carolina calls them married. It's important that they made vows, but... To a woman, to a man in the image of God, before the people of God, usually in the place of God, being presided over by a man of God. Like These are the reasons why we think we're married. That's where the value comes. And so I asked the question, maybe, or shouldn't we start thinking through that maybe this is a good idea? Now, Granted, Alabama's idea was really trying to protect the uh, the government employees that handle marriage licenses, that they wouldn't have to violate their conscience and sign on the license of a homosexual marriage. So the way it looks like it's going to work in Alabama is once you're married, you just send a letter off of like a form that just says, hey, we're married, so they can file it. So Alabama can file it, but no one in the no one in the government actually has to take action and put their name on it. So it, it seems like it's just a workaround for religious liberty, and I'm a fan of that. But it brought up the the larger question of should government have any kind of definition of marriage at all because it's really a religious institution. So I brought that up. And then one of our listeners here at Palmetto Family, Adam, he wrote in, and I want to read to you his email. The first paragraph is just really kind and awesome. And I wasn't going to read it because it seems quite gratuitous of myself to read nice things about myself. But hey, uh, let's just read it anyway, or at least part of it. He said he wanted to say he, he really appreciates my two shows. That's this one and the Corey act show. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to highlight is he said. Uh, primarily, I appreciate your tone and respect for everyone as a human being, even if you disagree with them. I appreciate that, Adam, uh, and that is something I do try to model. Also, something I can say with clarity that I didn't always do well, and sometimes I still fail at it. Uh, but that should be a model for the for the believer, for the religious person in the public sphere. Let's behave differently than the world around us. Let's be people who honor those with whom we disagree because they're still people. Uh, but here is then he then he responded to my thought about whether or not government should be inside marriage at all. He said this. Adam writes, I wanted to take a quick opportunity to take you up on the request for listener feedback and your opinion that it probably does make sense for the state to get completely out of the marriage business. Just as you stated, I'm totally open to changing my mind on this, but my question would would be, if the state gets out of the marriage business, won't it no longer be able to give incentives towards marriage? I know governments generally want to incentivize behaviors that are productive to healthy societies, and I think marriage is one of the single most powerful things to combat poverty and numerous other other societal ills. If the government doesn't recognize the concept of marriage, will it lose out on the potentially valuable opportunity to give incentives towards marriage? And I wrote back to him personally, but uh, just in case you also had that thought, you're a listener like Adam who thought, well, man, marriage is a powerfully important institution, well, don't we want to be able to provide incentives as a government, so tax incentives or whatever uh, whatever honor government can bestow upon the institution, shouldn't we want that to encourage people towards marriage? Uh, so let me say a couple things there. One, everything Adam said there about the value of marriage and what it does in society is just true. I think what I called it on that episode was marriage is the most civilizing force for men. Men who will otherwise be a little brutish, loutish, uh, c- can be a little out of control. Marriage is civilizing, slows men down, as they then take on the responsibility, the sacred responsibility, of the protection, care, and provision for a woman. And then, if that marriage leads to children, they take on the protection, provision, and care of children. That it civilizes a man to behave and, and act more like an adult and grow up that it's a good thing, that it has been good for women, uh, for the security of women and of children, to have families. This has just been true of humankind, and this should not surprise us. God's design from the beginning of time, page one of the Bible, is a family that is a man and a woman, and that eventually leads to children. So, to Adam, yeah, I certainly can see your argument. The government does lose, then, the ability to encourage a good behavior. And I could be, I could change my mind and say, yeah, the government should have that tool I tend towards thinking government does not have that role government uh, God has ordained governments to reward that which is good and punish that which is evil that doesn't mean they have they have to reward every good thing and punish every bad thing it's just the mandate of governments and so if if they didn't encourage this one I'd be okay with it but good listener feedback and if you want to do what Adam did I, hi- I highly encourage that and I appreciate it uh, you know when I what I do outside of my uh, I have a day job in higher education, and I'm the, pa- the pastor for teaching at a church up in Greenville, Beechwood Church. Uh, I produce these shows, and that's 80 minutes of content every week. And every time you shoot me an email, every time you leave a voicemail for the show on the Anchor app, you can find me, Corey Truax, on the Anchor app. If you download that on your smartphone, you can leave a voicemail. Every time you do that, it helps me have to do less work in preparing shows for you uh, so that I can just respond to exactly what it is you want to talk about. So thanks, Adam, for that feedback. Now, moving on to the show today. I want to start here. It's it's coming to the point where it's inarguable that the institutions of social media. So think Facebook, think Twitter, but also this is really important, think YouTube. I think a lot of people leave YouTube out of the social media conversation because they think of it as a video site. But ultimately, it is just as much social as Facebook is or Twitter. I mean, consider on Facebook or Twitter, people put out their thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts are just pictures of their family, or uh, maybe they write something political or something cultural. uh, And it can just be hobbies, fitness, food. But that's ultimately what YouTube is, too. It is a site where we, the people, go on and distribute our thoughts. I've done a couple of YouTube videos. I, I wish I could get around to doing more of that in, in that medium. And, and then YouTube has been adopted by a lot of the larger corporations and media companies as a distribution method where, uh, s- for example, this is actually interesting stuff to recognize, Saturday Night Live recognized about 2011 or 12 that as their ratings were dropping, their YouTube views were going nuts. And so they because people weren't going to sit down and watch the entire hour and a half show, but they'd be glad to watch an eight minute, eleven minute, thirteen minute. If it has that, by the way, that happens to be like the line apparently for most Americans. The research says they won't watch a, a video longer than thirteen minutes. Uh, so they started doing their writing. The directive from the the, the guy who runs Saturday Night Live, his, his name escapes me right now, to uh, his writers was, "We want skits that are good for YouTube." Jimmy Fallon did the same thing. Jimmy Fallon. He still has that job on NBC as a Tonight Show, even though he's losing now as the third, he's third in the credits, uh, When it, excuse me, in the ratings when it comes to people who watch him live. But his YouTube clips are the ones that go viral. Jimmy Fallon figured that out early. I'm going to stop doing my show for TV audiences. I'm going to start doing my show for online audiences, and it's worked for him. And so it's these powerful tools, these social media tools, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you have these powerful tools for distribution. And up until now, up until here lately, they have said of themselves that they are called open platforms. So Facebook says, all we're here to do is offer you, the people, a platform for you to do what you want. We're going to be a little careful on on things like pornography and harassment. We're going to be careful about uh, the spreading of images that are violent but beyond that, we're a platform. So you you are the publisher. It's actually an interesting decision they made at Facebook. Uh, a little a quick aside where uh, the post button, like if you decide you want to go on Facebook and publish uh, or write something, the button you click now when you write, oh man, this uh, this movie was so good. The button you click now is share. But for years, you don't the button didn't say share. the button said publish. And they were trying to get you to think that, trying to get you to think, I'm a publisher. I am just like the, the New York Times uh, or uh, the Washington Post or let's think of a newspaper you might actually like, like the Washington Times, uh, I, I am the Daily Wire or uh, what's another good one, The Blaze. So they were trying to get you, the regular people out here, us, the regular people, to know that we are publishing. And so we need to be careful about what we publish. So that was the ethos that was the environment in which the social media companies operated but a couple weeks ago we ran into a, at least in my estimation a troubling story and that troubling story revolves around a guy named Steven Crowder i love Steven Crowder if you don't know him he's originally born in canada he's lives in detroit he's a conservative commentator with tens of millions of views i think almost 10 million subscribers on youtube and that is how he popularized himself. This is one of, the ways, one of the reasons I admire him. This is not a guy who had a media company ever get behind him. He didn't have a local broadcasting uh, outlet. He just built an audience on YouTube. He took a bet on himself, raised some money, borrowed some money, and decided, I am going to be a conservative commentator on YouTube, and I'm going to make that my own small business. He's also a comedian, and that's part of why he got popular. He was doing funny skits and videos. He does some kind of stand-up. Maybe you know him because he got very popular for doing these videos called Change My Mind, where he would go to a college campus, and he just post a sign that says, you know, Second Amendment is, you know, or it's like a pro-gun. I'm, I'm super pro-gun, or I'm really pro-life. Change my mind. And he would just have long-form conversations with with college students. And so he is... Excellent. He's funny. He talks about important things. And I would also add, because he is a comedian, sometimes he uses some language I wouldn't use, but I'm not a comedian. And so comedians have a little bit of leeway in how they might mock somebody. Uh, But let me put it in its proper category. He doesn't say anything outside of the normal political mockery that you would have gotten from Jon Stewart, the liberal, back on Comedy Central, or the stuff that Saturday Night Live has done throughout their history, or what even Stephen Colbert does now on The Late Show, or David Letterman used to broadcast. Or, for, for that matter, David Letterman. David Letterman did some political commentary that was a little mean sometimes, and Stephen Crowder is right in that category. He doesn't go any further than them when he mocks somebody out on the left. So, that's Stephen Crowder. And what transpired here recently is there is a liberal media outlet called Vox, V-O-X. I actually kind of like Vox. They do some really partisan work, but they also do some quality work in getting just information out there sometimes. They decided to target him. They decided to go to YouTube and target Steven Crowder as someone who needed to be kicked off of YouTube, primarily because over the last couple years, Crowder responds to vox so vox will put out some explainer videos and they will explain something from a liberal perspective they'll be dishonest in a lot of those videos and steven crowder will respond to those and one of the people he responds to is a hispanic host on vox who's also homosexual and so steven crowder will call him lispy uh he'll and so he that's one of the things he's made fun of him on and so they go to YouTube and say he's harassing this host of ours. He harass, harasses him all the time, which is false. He's in a, a couple episodes where he mentioned him, and Crowder puts out dozens of uh, dozens of hours of content every week, and we're talking about a couple times over the last couple years he mentioned this lispy commentator on Vox. And YouTube comes back, at, and oh, I should also mention, Vox gets funding, uh, where like a guy like Steven Crowder, he's only funded because people give him money. They they give him subscription so I, I he has a thing called the mug club or uh, but he has his own viewers supporting him well vox doesn't have that vox has big liberal donors behind them i believe they got some money from nbc universal if it was not nbc universal it was uh, viacom which is a parent company of cbs so they're this big liberal news outlet and they have big money donors behind them and so they go after little steven crowder and YouTube comes back and says, no, he didn't break any of our rules. He, he is totally inside the rules of uh, of use that we wrote down. But nevertheless, because we think the cumulative effect he has on the conversation is harmful, we are demonetizing his videos, which means he can't make any money off of advertisers on YouTube. So the the left wanted him thrown off the air. They wanted him thrown off YouTube. He can't even use YouTube because there is a portion of the left that is no longer wanting to c- have a conversation, their desire is shut everybody up. If you don't agree with us, if you are not left-wing secular progressive, we don't want to talk to you, we don't think you should have a platform, you should be destroyed, your lives should be destroyed, your livelihood should be destroyed. And that was their position on David Crowder. or Stephen Crowder, he should have to be destroyed. YouTube didn't kick him off the the platform, but they did say he can't make money on the platform. When YouTube makes that decision, they seem to stop being a platform and they start to be an editor. This is also happening over at Facebook. Three years ago, you might remember that Glenn Beck and... What's the guy with the bow ties? Tucker Carlson and a couple other conservative hosts were brought to Silicon Valley and met with... Mark Zuckerberg because it was clear that the people who worked at Facebook were hiding or at least throttling down the access people were getting to conservative media sites. And Mark Zuckerberg apologized for it and said so they were they were working on it. Well, when you do that, when the people at your company are making what that seems like what's called an editorial decision, you're no longer a platform to anyone who wants to say anything can go out on the platform and try to gain followers. And then when those followers opt in, that's what you. when you are following a Facebook page, when you add a friend on Facebook or you're following a Facebook page, that's you opting in saying, I want to know more. I want to see more of, of Ben Shapiro's content or Steven Crowder's content. I want to see more of what The Blaze is saying. Or for that matter, me. You can go click like on the Corey Truax page or Palmetto Family. And I hope you will, by the way. Find Palmetto Family on Facebook, Instagram, any of those. You're opting in. But if the the folks who are doing the software engineering then throttle down access, they're not putting it in your feed, well, they're making an editorial decision about what you get to see. They're no longer just being a platform. And we've seen this at Twitter. We've, there's plenty of examples. And so we have these social media companies who set themselves up as platforms. We are there for everybody to say what they want to say, but then they take upon themselves decisions that are actually more traditionally in the realm of an editor. A newspaper editor would decide who can post and how they can post and who, wh- where are we going to put it on our paper? Are we going to put it on front page above the folder? Are we going to put it on page 11 at the bottom right-hand side where no one's really going to see it? And they're, they're now making those decisions. And so they're inviting upon themselves some attention. I don't know if they want. And it's time for us to decide, as a people, what are we going to do with these social media companies. Uh, I'm a, I am do some investing on the side with some of my own money. Uh, just don't have it in savings and just, just doing some of my own for the fun of it. I, I, I enjoy watching the markets. About a, about three weeks ago, the tech companies took a tumble. Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. They had a bad couple days. I, mean, I, I think I lost 7%. I'm I'm an investor in Facebook, and I lost about seven percent in two days on Facebook. And that came out of some of the conversation I'm having with you now. That was some of the dissatisfaction about how the social media companies are running. There was talk about well, maybe some of them are monopolies, and we need to break up. We need to break up Apple. We need to break up Google or break up Alphabet. Maybe there is some regulation that needs to take place, like by the FCC. One of the arguments happening in Washington, D.C. was, well, we have the Federal Communications Commission. They regulate ABC, NBC, CBS, the New York Times, the Washington Post. They regulate the Blaze and and the Huffington Post and the Young Turks. So left, right, middle, objective, non-objective. The FCC takes media companies that make editorial and publishing decisions, and they regulate them differently is do we need to include Facebook, Twitter, YouTube? Do we need to include them in the media regulation? And that's a worthwhile discussion. You can take that over to Apple as well. Apple has the App Store. For those who are going to build an app and try to make money off of this idea of putting an app on your phone. I'll just give you an example. Uh, The app for uh, Big Token. Big Token is an app I've been using here recently where they... Uh, they want to do the data collection uh, for, for data collection in a way that's transparent. So they're just straight saying, "What we are doing is we want to know what you buy, where you go, we want to know what you eat, we want you to ch- like we want you to share all your information with us that your phone can share, because then we want to sell ads to you." And so we're just being transparent. We are literally nothing but a data collection company. We want to collect everything we can about you and sell it to people so they can sell you advertisements. And I've been using Big Token because I am curious how this is going to work. But I only got to Big Token because I got it through the App Store. And if Apple comes up with their own version of this, if Apple decides what we want to do is be more transparent about our data collection and have people opt in and just volunteer even more information about themselves, we want to use this idea to make money, well, you know what they can do? They can take Big Token and drop them to the bottom of the search results. They can make a big token almost impossible to find in the App Store. For that matter, they can kick them out of the App Store. And so there's the discussion happening, do, how do we need to think about these tech companies and social media companies for regulation? And i got to be honest, this is hard for me. I'm fairly libertarian. I'm probably not a libertarian, but I, I tend that direction. And I do not like the idea of the government coming along and regulating the social media companies. But I also recognize this, and I'd be interested in your opinion if you think I'm not right about it, but isn't it true that Silicon Valley is now more significant to our lives than Washington, D.C.? Isn't it true that the things that actually affect us day to day is not what Congress is doing or what the president is doing? The stuff that actually affects us day to day is the technology. It's what happens on social media. Facebook and Instagram are much more significant in my life than the politicians in Columbia or the politicians in D.C. I spend more time on Amazon and YouTube and in the App Store. Maybe this is unfortunate, but in my day-to-day life, I spend more time giving money, time, attention to those tech companies than I do any any realm of government. They are more significant, but we probably don't think about them enough. I mean, just consider this. It's Silicon Valley that within 10 years is probably going to give us self-driving cars. And it is Silicon Valley that's going to give us the self-driving cars that greatly diminish the employment status of people in in this country. The, The replacement that we're going to start seeing of truck drivers, UPS drivers, Uber drivers. like There's... Uh, one of the most popular jobs in the country is driver. And so as, as they're doing that out in Silicon Valley, they li- they're literally changing the economy on us, and we don't pay enough attention to them. And so that is over 20 minutes of commentary to come around to this point. There are decisions getting made, or at least being discussed, at the federal level, around what Facebook is, what Google is, what Alphabet is, Snapchat and and Amazon, and whether or not they are monopolies and if there should be regulation. And it's time for us to start thinking through our own position on these things. And I'm trying to come to a spot where I can coherently and cohesively give you, I'm a Baptist, so I wanted to come up with another C word there, uh, co- co- cohesively, and I don't even remember the first one, but... Uh, and also do it in a succinct way, an opinion on this. Because I don't like the idea of regulation, but we do have to start to recognize that they are unbelievably powerful companies and probably more powerful than than anything we've seen from a corporate setting. And so it might be time to start thinking through what it is we need to do with them. All right, uh, before we get to one other fi- another story today, I do want to remind you again, palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org, where you can find every episode of this show but also uh, i can't uh, what was the name it was re- representative davis i think her name was celeste representative celeste davis that was a recent conversation that eric corcoran had on his show for palmetto family talking about her journey in faith really good episode uh, so if you enjoy this show at all eric corcoran and josh putnam are both better at this than i am you should go listen to their shows uh, and they're over at palmettofamily.org you can also find them wherever you're listening to my podcast. Uh, And also, if I can remind you, we're still trying to do that trip. We're doing that trip for pastors, South Carolina's pastors, sending them to Washington, D.C. We could use every dime or dollar that you can donate to that. You can find more at palmettofamily.org. If you have interest like we do in seeing to it that our representatives, South Carolina's representatives in Congress, are influenced by the pastors and church leaders of the state, well, we need your help to do that. Palmetto Family is doing that kind of work we need your help to make that happen. You can find all of that over at palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org. You're listening to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. I want to give you one more story for today. I, I probably need to issue, like not an apology because I'm not, I wasn't mean about it, but probably just issue a, uh, a statement of, hey, I guess I was kind of wrong on something maybe, um, which for people like me, a guy like me, it's hard to ever say that, that I might have been wrong. I I, I, obj- I think objectively, if you are a conservative, and you're a conservative in your economics, you're a free market capitalist, you oppose tariffs. Tariffs are taxes. And tariffs are not paid by the country you put tariffs on. So if we put a tariff on India on silicon um, or for making semiconductors, well, India doesn't actually pay it. India's prices for silicon just go up, and we, the American consumer, just pay more for products that have silicon in them or use semiconductors. That's all that happens. And so when we put tariffs on China or Mexico, all that is is a tax on us, the consumer. The uh, the, the idea that there's going to be uh, the, that those countries are just cutting us checks for these taxes, that's not how it works. And so when the President of the United States says unless Mexico does something about the migrants from Guatemala, Honduras, Ecuador, that are coming up through Mexico into the United States, then we're going to put a tariff on Mexico we're going to punish them uh, for not doing something we want on immigration and I thought it was a terrible idea because tariffs are bad tariffs are bad for the economy and also if you're a fan of the president his best argument for re-election is this economy is bonkers this this economy's going gangbusters it's awesome and if you want to slow down your economy then put a, put a tariff on our number one trading partner which is Mexico or maybe they're not our number two trading partner Canada might be number one and so, I, I've, objectively, that's a terrible idea. Don't do a tariff. Uh, and ultimately, to shorten the story, it's It's appearing we're not going to do a tariff. Uh, the markets would have tumbled if we would have. It would have been very bad for the markets if we would have done that. And Mexico has agreed to do what the president wants. It's basically a, a third-party country agreement where Mexico is going to have the migrants who come up from Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras that are trying to get to the United States where they're going to stay in Mexico while their asylum claims are being adjudicated in the American system. And that's good news. It is objectively good news, and we should celebrate that. We should celebrate when you get objectively good news. Both are good. those, Those folks, those families, those people who might have legitimate claims towards asylum, well, we want to hear their cases, but it's good that they go ahead and stay in a culture that is more similar to their own, Uh, and then not put them in a situation where what's happening now continues to happen, where they are often just eventually let out into general population, and their asylum claims are never actually heard, and then we just have more people walking around the country illegally. That's never a good thing. It's also good that there's not going to be a tariff, uh, and so that's all the way around a good thing. Hey, would you do me a favor and share the show? Tell somebody about South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax, and don't forget you can also, and you should be, telling folks about Faith Conversations with Eric Corcoran and our show from Josh Putnam. You can find a lot more information and news at palmettofamily.org palmettofamily.org. You can find my show The Corey Truax Show wherever you're listening to this podcast and follow along Palmetto Family wherever uh, for, for your news as well. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.